Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Black. We are kicking off Season 6 Florida Basketball Hour on this show. I will uh, open up talking about some of Todd Golden's introductory media press conference this week. Um, Some of the things he said that I thought were interesting. We'll dive into a little recruiting. I will say at the top that we recorded this a couple days ago. Um, It now is really clear, at least to us, and I think uh, Jacob Rudner reported this at 24-7 Sports. Um, Ryan Jones is going to pick Virginia Tech on the 2nd of October. That shouldn't surprise anybody. I think Florida is really the front runner for a different big, Sammy Gane, a little different type of big um, who visits uh, Gainesville next weekend for the Vanderbilt game um, on his official visit. He was at uh, he was a game, he's a Gainesville kid, but he's out playing at Compass Prep, um, which is a great basketball school uh, out in Arizona. I really, really like his game and think he has a lot to contribute. Eric Fawcett and I are going to dive into all of this stuff. Um, we're also going to talk a little SEC. We hope you guys enjoy the show. We really appreciate all the support as we enter Season 6 Florida Basketball Hour. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I will be joined momentarily by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. I think Eric is doing some really cool stuff for the Patreon right now. So just a reminder um, that if you aren't subscribed to our Patreon, this is a great time to do it. You can get in now. Head over to Patreon.com slash Florida BB Hour and join. Um, lots of different Lots of content coming your way, full-scale SEC previews um, of every SEC program. Uh, we will also, you know, you get access to everything we've already done. So a lot of video and film breakdowns from Mr. Fawcett. And then once games start, you still get uh, your post-game reports, analysis, um, you know, the after-the-buzzer, uh, three thoughts, segments sent to you um, immediately after the game. So, a lot of different benefits for our subscribers. Another reminder, um, as we get ready to start a new season, is that we are brought to you by the Gatorverse. Um, the Gatorverse is really IEP, I think, or IEP, NIL, the way it's supposed to be done. Um, the idea is that players get a share of all the revenues. They get the lion's share of it. You purchase collectibles, and you get access. For example, right now they have a Trevor ETN autographed card on there. Um, And if you purchase the collectible, then you get a 20% discount at Bluebird Wings. You get uh, a free meal if Etienne scores two touchdowns. And then there's a postseason event that's open just to people who subscribe. So those are the types of things that they have going on. Um, It is your one-stop shop really for uh, these types of collectibles. There's lots of basketball stuff. And so if you head over to Gatorverse.io, that's G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E.io, you will see how you can join, how you can get collectibles. Remember that if you do that, you're giving the lion's share of revenue from sales to um, the player. So that's the way NIL was really intended to work. Put that money in their pockets, which is the best way for NIL to happen. And it's not a competitive thing. It's not like if you support Gatorverse, you're not supporting Florida Victorious. You can do both. The missions are the same. uh, And the outcomes are really positive for those athletes um, who do stuff with both. You saw our interview with Tyree Samuel, for example. Nothing to foreclose him from having Gatorverse collectibles and making sure that Florida Victorious is helping him out in other NIL spaces. So um, it's not a a matter of choosing. I'm a Gatorverse member, um, even as they sponsor our podcast, and and I think that it's done really great stuff. So wanted to talk a little bit about Gatorverse. We get to start our season and our Patreon. Okay, Florida did start practice. We will be getting into – um, the, you know, early returns, 
on Florida practices. Um, and just kind of Todd Golden's first meeting with the media, which I thought was super important as well uh, in terms of, you know, how they went about um, talking about the point guard position in particular. Um, the main thing that was interesting there is that Golden pointed out uh, there are a bunch of options. Uh, he said, I feel like we have a lot of guys who can play the point guard position. We feel fortunate there. Zion has played the position his whole life. He's stable and really good. Denzel is really stepping up, making a jump, going into his sophomore year. Walter Clayton is a guy who can play the point and do it quite well. Those three guys there specifically. Then he mentions Cayuse is a freshman, uh, but he can really handle it and run a team. We have a number of guys who can do it, and it's an area I really think is a strength for us this year. Didn't say that it wasn't last year, of course, but obviously last year um, there was just so much about Florida's point guard situation that was all about what Kyle Lofton can do. And now everybody from Caius Kubliskis um, to Zion Poland is kind of an option in that particular space. And I think that's really, really, really beneficial for Florida. So that was kind of the first thing that I thought was super interesting um, from the golden first media meetup. Um, he talked about, uh, rebounding a lot. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting area for Florida. He said that, you know, Hey, look, we don't know. We have to do it in a game. Um, so clearly Todd not making any promises. Um, but he did mention something that I looked at when I was looking at analytics and, and that's, you know, kind of looking at Florida statistical, just raw statistical numbers without diving into the uh, analytics. It was interesting because, um, you know, I think, I think Florida was pretty good on the defensive glass, and then they got into conference play and got crushed. And um, I think that that is something they're hoping to change. If they come strong out of the gate, can they compete in the SEC? And I think with guys like Ty Samuel in there, they can do that. Uh, with Edge Jarvis, they can do that. Micah Handlocked, and obviously we'll see how he can do against SEC athletes, uh, his length should help, but um, there's some size issues, some strength issues that, that could arise on that end. But Golden said, look, we have to do it in a game. Uh, he pointed out they were top 40 or 50 in rebounding rate entering league play. And then uh, obviously in, in league play, they were terrible on both sides. Uh, he said it's the best um, offensive rebounding uh, league in the country. Um, and I think we've talked about that a lot on the show. That's that's all very true. Um, he said, look, it's it's not a great defensive rebounding league, and he's right about that. A lot of that has to do with shot blocking. A lot of it has to do with how hard teams crash the offensive glass. But uh, his point was, you know, he finishes the thought, I do think we're deeper. We have the ability and capacity to rebound better. But we have to do it once the season starts. And I think all that uh, is is really well said. Um, from Coach Golden. It's interesting uh, just to hear some of his other thoughts, you know, on roster building. You know, last year they felt like they had built an analytical roster, but, um, you know, they try again this season. Obviously last year it didn't work out. Uh, he said, you know, the goal in the future is not to have to bring in nine guys like they did this season. So he said, uh, hopefully it'll be a lower number than that with transfer rules what they are and the flexibility for guys to be able to move at different times. It leaves the door open to situations like what we just had. I do think we have a lot of good, young, talented kids in our program who will be here for quite a while. We'll have better continuity next year. But it's interesting to hear him kind of point out, look, a lot of rosters are turning over this way, which is something that we also mentioned, you know, because people used to leave. Certainly in the white era, there was a lot of criticism from fans about roster turnover. And it's just like, well, that's sort of the nature of the beast. And here we were in year one of the golden era. And immediately there were nine new players after one season. So golden addresses that uh, at his first media availability on Tuesday. And he just sort of says, look, you know, I think, uh, I think that this is sort of the nature of the beast right now. Uh, do we want continuity? Of course we want continuity. Does Florida think it's going to have more? It does. I mean, I, and I think that that's, imp it's important to kind of note that, right? Like Florida from a continuity standpoint should be better next season. You know, even though 
Poland will be out of eligibility. Sen will be out of eligibility. Uh, and Jarvis will be out of eligibility. Um, Florida still has handlocked in who could stay. Uh, Walter Clayton, who could stay and be involved in the program. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with Denzel Aberdeen. Hopefully he takes a leap and sticks around or just elects to stick around. Sounds like, you know, Todd Golden pointed him out. Uh, very quickly in the discussion of point guards. So it sounds like he may have a role um, or like Todd Golden envisions him having a long-term role at the program. Even if there's not a role this year, I think Florida processed out the people that they were going to process out. Right. And it's interesting and compelling that Denzel stayed. Um, and I don't think that's just because he wanted to play with Riley Kugel. So that's kind of an interesting thought, but like, even if you, know, you lose Kugel to the NBA, likely so, you know, those are a handful of guys, but there's also the potential for uh, Kubliskis and a bunch of other guys to end up um, coming back, right? And that, I think, is exciting, especially when you factor in Isaiah Brown. Uh, I think Florida will get a commitment from either Ryan Jones or Sammy Yenne, maybe even both, um, as they – move forward um they're kind of different players even though they both profile as power forwards uh you know a top 100 guy um you know i'll get into some of that recruiting stuff with now i might as well while i wait on eric you know kind of look at what the roster might look like next year but you know i do think florida will take more than just isaiah brown given the youth of the roster they're clearly okay with going portal but um you know, they're they're making inroads recruiting with a lot of people. DJ Edgecombe, certainly a guy that, that Florida will hope to continue to recruit on the wing. But Sammy Yaday and uh, Ryan Jones, both Floridians, both guys, uh, you know, especially in Yaday's case, a hometown kid through and through. Ryan Jones at the Rock. Now Sammy Yaday transferred out to Compass Prep, so no longer Jones's teammate. Um you know, I don't think either of them shoot the three particularly well. I know there's people that disagree that that say that Ryan can shoot the triple. I uh, haven't seen it. Neither have most scouts. Why he profiles more as a five, whereas Yane profiles as a guy who could develop into a stretch four. Um, he still has to work on the shooting. But one thing Sammy Yane does outstanding, at least in AAU ball, is is shoot the, the free throw and get fouled, get to the free throw lines. 82% shooter in his AAU this summer so those are really outstanding numbers um for for a big uh and his foul rate was was terrific uh, it was one of the best aau foul rates in in florida so do i think sammy Yane is a guy who who can contribute more or less immediately on a roster given his size and strength of course uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with his recruitment i expect him to announce uh a visit to Houston quite soon. It's another roster where they like their big, compact, physical, strong uh, front court guys. But I would say, from what I've heard, that kind of that recruitment is Florida, Houston, and then Ohio, uh, kind of lingering in the background as is Alabama. Alabama hasn't pursued him quite as hard as Florida and Houston, but I don't know how much interest he would ultimately have in. Uh, Alabama anyway, if Florida and um, Houston continue to push. As for Ryan Jones, obviously his announcement now out October 2nd. I expect the pick to be Virginia Tech, but I'm no longer as confident about that as I was before he just showed up at Florida's first practice um, and talked about what a great time he had. I know the Florida staff is recruiting both players and We'll see. Uh, it's very possible that they get a hometown kid to stay home. Um, and it's been a while since Florida really brought in a physical type of front court guy who was SEC ready from the get go. You know, Brian's got to learn um, a little bit more on the offensive end from a skill set standpoint. He has to learn how to defend without fouling better. Um, you know, I thought his his foul rate at three point seven fouls. Um, per game in high school is a pretty frightening foul rate for a high school player. Um, you know, that's something he's got to learn to handle a little bit better. And obviously the rock puts a difficult schedule, but some of those are just public school games like fouling out against Newberry, things like that, that, that have to be 
Um, a little disconcerting, I think, but it's more the offensive skill set that, that kind of has to come into being um, with him. So between those two guys and VJ Edgecombe, who just visited, obviously Florida has three really high-profile type targets um, that they're still trying to land in their next recruiting class. And, and, you know, Ryan obviously being the kind of lowest guy on that totem pole, the lone guy in that group um, that, you know, I think has some, you know, what position does he play? Is, is he a stretch for, does he shoot as well as some people think? Um, is he a five? Like he's profiled in a lot of places. Uh, you know, what, what is the kind of verdict there? But in any case, you're still dealing with multiple top 100 guys and Jones, Gane, Edgecombe, Edgecombe, obviously the, the five star in that group, top 25 player, uh, top 10 player, actually just a sensational young basketball player. So uh, told he was blown away by his trip to Gainesville, his official visit. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Boozers obviously taking their official visit to Florida. You know, the cool thing about the official visits rule is now like anybody can, you can take as many as you want. Um, and I think you kind of have to deal with that two ways, right? One, on the one hand, take some of them with a grain of salt. On the other hand, like it's still optically good to have both the boozers on Florida's campus. I think just from an optic standpoint, it suggests that Florida has some momentum building on the recruiting trail. And I think you hope that they can build that momentum and you, you know, you never know. I mean, there's, there are still people who say those guys aren't signed, sealed, delivered to Duke. Um, I don't believe that, but you just never know. Maybe they get on campus and, you know, wake up the echoes of, of Horford and Noah when they uh, see Florida's facilities and, and hang out in the swamp and, and that type of thing. Um, so we're going to talk a little Riley Kugel with, with Eric when he gets on. I think that'll be a pretty interesting way to start with Mr. Fawcett, Dr. Fawcett joining us. Um, you know, I think uh, another interesting thing is, is Todd acknowledge what we've said a lot on the show. He just said, look, we want offensive rebound. We build our roster that way. He said three to five. Uh, we want them all to go and try to get rebounds. He said, look, we expect our guards to pick up the ball in transition so that they can do that. And he said, in this league, you really need second chance opportunities. Uh, the guys we brought in can do that. So they're recruiting to an idea. They're recruiting to an ideology that worked for them extraordinarily well at San Francisco when they had a top 20 Ken Palm team. Uh, obviously lost that heartbreaker to Murray State in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But I think that is the concept. And I think it's a concept that can really work with this roster if it shoots the ball the way that it can shoot the ball. And, of course, the interesting thing there was just some talk uh, in early practices about how athletic and 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 uh, loose and limber Will Richard looks, which is pretty interesting. And, you know, Will had the early the early season injury last year, a preseason knock on his knee and, and – some people out there wondered if, if he was really 100%. And, and Will went out and said, look, we weren't entirely 100% as it was uh, with this roster. So that wasn't something that we um, were able to quite do. Uh, from a roster standpoint, we weren't – he wasn't 100%. His knee was not perfect. And he did say, you know, hey, look, it affected, I think, some of the things I want to do offensively and on the offensive end, um, whether or not, you know, that means we see will kind of drive the basketball and, and get to the 10 and attack a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. We didn't see a ton of that at Belmont, to be honest. Like it's just not something we've seen as a natural fit in his game. So I think that's a big question that, that has to be answered. So um, those are just some interesting thoughts. Uh, initially, and, um, you know, I think worth considering um, from sort of a, whether or not Will Richard has more in him than he offered last year's standpoint 
We're going to welcome in Eric Fawcett. I'm going to be quiet right now uh, for a minute and let Eric tell you all. I already plugged the Patreon, Eric. So I'm going to let you talk to people about kind of what you just did, uh, breaking down Riley Kugel, and I will be right back. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, um, shout out to uh, Jared and, and a couple of the other Patreon members who are more technologically savvy uh, than myself, who suggested that uh, I should be recording these screen share videos I do, um, kind of recording them locally as opposed to over the cloud, which um, uh, I didn't know was going to take so long to upload. So I was like, oh, perfect. I'm going to do this Patreon video just 10 minutes before me and Neilers. Well, I'll finish 10 minutes before me and Neil are supposed to start recording and uh, then we'll be good to go. But then it actually took like 30 minutes to upload and I couldn't leave the screen or I would lose all my work. And uh, I did not want to lose it because uh, I thought there was some really good stuff that I just did for, for the Patreon for, for uh, Riley Kugel. So again, everything so far, or a lot of what we've done so far, has been talking about the incoming transfers, guys that you maybe haven't seen quite as much. So again, with the Patreon, there's um, every every single incoming transfer, did some video on as, as well as Condon and, uh, and Caius. But uh, yeah, I wanted to do one on, on a returning player that people are, are very, very excited for. Um, so got into a lot of really interesting stuff with Riley Kugel, some stuff that he does well and some stuff that he you know really doesn't do quite as well. Um, some stuff that he's really got to improve on. So uh, yeah, it was like, it was about 40 minutes of, of really good stuff, I think. So um, yeah, if you uh, want to join the Patreon, you could just you could have a whole library of content to get ready for the season from uh, every transfer now to Riley Kugel. And uh, of course there'll be even more videos um, upcoming before the season. So there'll be a, a whole lot to get you, uh, get you ready for a season that I think has uh, a good, a good, you know, bit of, of, of optimism, I would say among the fan base. Yeah, I think definitely a lot of optimism. I wanted to, since we're talking, you know, Riley um, now, Eric, I started the show just kind of talking about some interesting things that um, involved Todd Golden's first meeting with the media and just kind of some of the stuff he had to say. I, I kind of loved his candor about them as a just a terrible rebounding team. And he said part of like as a staff, uh, this was the really refreshing part. Is like as a staff, we thought we were in pretty great shape because we were top 40 entering conference play. And we just had no idea how, you know, unprepared we were for how brutal it is to rebound in the sec. He thinks that they've fixed some of that, but, but I love what he said about Riley Kugel just said, look, he's had a fantastic off season. Um, and it's not just weight room stuff. Like it's, it's who he's gone out and competed against. And I know you're a big advocate of people going out and competing against great players in the off season to get better. And, you know, obviously uh, Golden complimented that approach. Yeah, and, and again, um, coming off me just doing a 40-minute video um, for Patreon like a second ago, uh, where in the video we looked a lot at his pick-and-roll reads, and there was a lot to be desired there, where uh, it seemed like he just wanted to turn every pick-and-roll into an isolation setting to, to get to his pull-up. So uh, I think that there was – there's a lot to be done um, with his game relative to yeah, making reads out of the pick and roll. And then there was also, you know, his finishing numbers are, are, are actually quite poor, I would say, especially for someone who is uh, a good athlete, has good length. So he's got a lot of work to do finishing. And again, that's something too, where it's like, when you're a high level high school basketball player, there's still like nothing that prepares you for like finishing around the length of, the SEC. So, um, yeah, I think that that's something where, yeah, just playing against good players, um, competing at a high level, going to the camps that he did. Hopefully that really helps him with uh, with some of those things that he um, didn't do quite as well. And again, I think there's to some extent where like we saw his kind of explosive scoring nature where he could just rattle off, you know, three, four deep threes off the dribble. And there's times where you're like, wow, how is this guy ranked? whatever he ended up being ranked before he came to Florida. And I do think when you, you know, look at it, go through it with a little finer tooth comb, you do see some of the things that's like, well, you know, he's not a, it doesn't, doesn't make high level reads quite yet, or didn't show the ability to um, last year, which in fairness, it's not like Florida's offense was particularly humming to the point where 
he could make a lot of those reads and it was like, well, you know, he wasn't a great finisher. So, so again, I, I do think that that was something that was like, okay, so like maybe there is a reason he wasn't just like uh, an easy five-star, you know, player, but uh, Hey, that's, you know, he obviously showed that there's things he does extremely well. His, his off the dribble numbers are, are very, very good. And uh, you know, you see him become a better finisher, make some better reads out of pick and roll. And that's the, that's the kind of pathway to him reaching his goal and being a, being a first round, you know, NBA draft pick. Yeah, another thing that was interesting because I I did I told the listeners uh, I was going to go over a couple of these comments that I thought were were interesting with you, but um, another one, and this was echoed by Coach Hubday, was this multiple ways to play, um, and so let me preempt this with kind of the Neil take on before I tell you what they say and and. Of course, they're like, we have lots of ways to play. And I guess my Neil take preemption would just be they came on the podcast last year and loved how they built their roster. Mm. And I think that has to be said, Um, you know, and I think that's especially important with people who are like, well, the roster didn't end up being as good as we thought it would be. And it's like, well, they thought it was pretty darn good and went 16 and 17. So. I'm not really not trying to wet blanket everybody on the first episode of the new season. I promise. Um, but it was interesting that both Hubday and, and Golden then said, look, I think we have a lot of different ways to play. Hubday said, um, I think we'll play a little more three around two this year. Obviously we can play four around one. We won't have to play as much five out. Um, so I think the depth gives us a lot more options. Your thoughts. Yeah, again, it's 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 funny coming off the the conversation last year that was like, oh, all our fives are going to shoot. We're going to play five out, and five out is <laughs> the future, and it's the present, and you know, this is what we're going to do. And and uh, so, yeah, I, I bet I mean, like, hey, I'd, I'd certainly rather see adjustment than um, you know just continuing to do the, the same thing overall. Yeah. I would have, you know, would I have loved to see hear him say, oh, you know what, we've completely scrapped continuity ball screen, like all oh, that would have, you know, would have warmed <laughs> my heart. Yes, but uh, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I, I do think that the talent on the roster would would back it up a little bit, just in the in the sense that like you know, Riley Kugel is a guy you can have the ball in his hands, but you know, as I don't think he's going to make a lot of you know high level reads but he's someone that's just always a threat because of his dynamism. Um, and then if you've of course got Zion Pullen, who's going to make higher level reads, um, not quite as athletic, like even just in the sense that like, if you put those two players in ball screens, suddenly it's going to look like your team is, is playing two different ways. And then it's like, okay, well, if you got, you know, one big man and, and you play a spread ball screen, like that's going to look different than if they've got a, a second big man on the block who can duck in. So it's like, well, even just like put, either Jarvis or um, Tyree Samuel at the, at the four um, or whatever combination of those and, and, and either have one of the guys spacing or one of those guys on the block ready to duck in and you alternate who's your pick and roll ball handler. I can put Clayton in that mix as well. I mean, already there's, there's going to be a lot of different looks and something is as basic as a ball screen um, much less if uh, they, they get into different offensive schemes that, that are not as a ball screen um, reliant because again, like I said, kind of before, like Riley Kugel's pick and roll numbers actually weren't great. Zion Pullins were, um, Clayton's were okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that'll be interesting. Um, I'll, I'll of course be interested to see if they get into still kind of the, um, the point series stuff that never really worked out last year, but is something that a lot of the coaches have uh, a lot of experience using. Um, again, I think that this, this roster, which would fit with it and, a little bit better. Um, Myron Jones and, and Kyle Lofton curling off screens out of the splits is, was not particularly threatening, but if that's more, you know, Will Richard and, and Zion Paul in doing that, um, of course, in addition to um, Clayton and, and, uh, and Kugel like that, that could work a little bit better. So yeah, I, I again, I, I think when anything offense is, is talked about, there's like a little bit of like, I don't want to say I roll my eyes. I'm not at that point, but I'm just like, Hey, let's just like, I just want to see it. Like, that's what I'm really looking forward to in the, yeah. the season. I'm fascinated to see what the offense looks like, but um, you know, it's, it's, I, I did like the, like, I'll also say this with who they recruited. If they brought in Tyree Samuel and Jarvis and hand locked in and, uh, you know, brought in even 
Hauk could be, you know, a three, four, um, you know, Connor could be a four or five. If they brought in all those guys and then said like, Oh, we're only going to play five out. Like that would have been a concern. So um, I yeah. do think the fact that they, that they said, you know, three round two or, or four round one, I do think that fits the personnel a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's, it's, I, I will take all comments about those styles of things. They're, they're certainly more interesting than just who's worked hard in the summer and who looks good and all that. Yeah, no, like, I mean, I appreciate it. I just, I, I wanted to make sure that there was like the preemption caveat. I don't think our listeners are just hearing like what the coach says and taking it as truth without any critical thinking. I just kind of, <laughs> I just, I, I wanted to make sure that that, that was out there because I feel like that was, you know, the responsible thing to do when presenting those comments, just like I think it was interesting that, you know, Todd Golden referenced Will Richard's health and just said, look, you know, I think he's a hundred percent this season. You remember last year he had the, the knee thing and the preseason and uh, you know, and, and coach Golden said Tuesday night, um, Hey, look, uh, we think Will is going to be able to do some more stuff for us, particularly in the pick and roll. Um, and we think that'll make him a more versatile player. We also think having more shooters on our roster will make him a better player. Um, those are things I wholeheartedly agree with. I don't think they're coach speak. I think that those are all accurate. Now I can't speak to Will's health cause I'm not in the training room all the time, but when Will Richard is saying the same things his coach is saying like, Hey, look, I think there's more I can do offensively as a scorer. I think that that's probably uh, productive and, and at least something you can take a bit more seriously. Uh, yeah, it sounds like we're playing continuity ball screen. Um, if if all these players are gonna like, if you bring in Zion Collin and and, and and Walter Clayton, and now you're saying that Will Richard is gonna be in ball screens, like, and you're saying three around two, um, I I can piece together this puzzle and say that we are gonna see the continuity ball screen again. Uh, looking forward to seeing how that one works out. Um, but again, like, uh, like, does a lower body injury like? Like, I, like, again, like maybe, but this was a player who didn't have a lot of juice with the, with the ball in his hands as a freshman um, at Belmont and was largely a offensive rebounder and spot up shooter. And then he came to Florida where he was an offensive rebounder and, and spot up shooter. So like, I, 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 does he have more to his game that he wasn't able to show because of injury? I, I Maybe, I suppose we'll see, but that's one that like almost sounds a little coach speaky to me uh, of like, Hey, you know, like, yeah, well, or, or even just to say like, Oh, he needed more shooters around him. Well, he was a shooter himself. Like yeah. shooters don't need other shooters around them. Well, it changes the way it changes the way people will guard him to be fair. Like, I don't think so. You don't think, you don't think that it makes it harder for defenses to, to face guard or jam him, you know, in a world where there's Walter Clayton in Florida spaces the floor better. He's, he's never been face guarded ever. Like no, you know, like no one's scared of him getting the ball. You know what I mean? Like, like if he's, if he's in the slot, no one's like, Oh, we got to deny him the ball because he might drive downhill. So yeah. it's like, so I like, he's most dangerous in the corner where he's going to get guarded the same way, kind of regardless. Like if it's a rotation where his man needs to help they're they're going to help regardless. I, I don't think putting subbing out, um, putting Walter Clayton where, where Myron Jones is on, on a loaded side. Like that's not going to change teams rotations. I I, I don't think. I don't and know. Again, I, still, it's just, I think teams definitely cheated towards him to kind of take him out of shots and to force spacing issues that they could get away with because there weren't other shooters present on the floor though. No. Well, I mean, he got open looks and he hit them. So, like, I, I'm not even saying that, like, sure. I, I don't, I'm not even like we're we're making excuses about something that doesn't need excuses for. <laughs> like, it might like he was an he was an he got open looks on a team that struggled to get open looks and yeah. he hit them at a good rate. So, so again, I just I'm not saying that's like, fair. He's bad and that there needed to be excuses. It's just a funny thing to say to me when it's like yeah. I don't know, like if it was like oh we couldn't get. You know, we thought that, I mean, I know he's off the team, but if they said, oh, you know, like we needed more shooters for Kyle Lofton, Kyle Lofton would have been a much better player with better <laughs> shooters. Like then I could at least say like, okay, well, like maybe because he had the ball in his hands all the time. I just don't think when you see a player that's primarily a catch and shoot player, that's not someone who's I was like, like oh, if he only had another catch and shoot player, then suddenly he would be. But hey, well, we will, we'll get the answer to that one. And 
and uh, yeah. yeah, hasn't shown a lot of pick and roll ability through his first two years at two different levels. But yeah, maybe the injury does does matter. And uh, yeah, I think you know he's a he became a popular player because he was um, kind of played his role to such a high level, shot the ball very consistently, rebounded his position, guarded his position, and that's something too where you could even see like he was a better like he was a good defender when he seemed when he got healthier. And then there was games where he was questionable to play. And then you could kind of, then he ended up playing and you could see that like, Oh, he doesn't have the same, the same kind of lateral burst. So right. um, I could see him being even, you know, an even more impactful defender, even though he was a good defender, even if he, you know, if, if the injury was a role. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest benefit to the spacing is that, you know, probably the guys that, that are going to be more susceptible and able to create their own look, um, whether it's Walter Clayton or whether that's Zion Pullen or Riley Kugel, you know, Florida spacing the floor better, probably more beneficial to those guys. Um, you know, Kugel's going to do it no matter what, but maybe Zion Pullen and to a lesser extent, Walter Clayton benefit from, from Florida's ability to space the floor more than Will Richard. I mean, I think, we certainly saw a lot of games last year where either Eric or I came on the show and, and said, you know, I'm not really certain what Will Richard does extremely well on offense. And it's not saying he didn't have a great year. Cause I think he did, um, but he's a shooter, right? Like he's not a guy that is going to wow you with his athleticism or taking the ball to the basket. Unless maybe, maybe he will this year when, now that he's not injured, that's what, that's what we're hearing. So we'll, we'll find out. Um, <laughs> On that one, I, I did want to ask you about one of the kind of reports um, from from uh, practice, and this is yeah. something that I think was was heard, and I don't know if this was on your list of uh, of things. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, I kind of heard it from a couple of people and kind of rolled my eyes, uh, but then it kind of became louder. And then when there was different reporters that were allowed into practice this past week, um, it was like notable. And then it was kind of made even more public when, when Kevin Sweeney from, from Sports Illustrated tweeted it. Um, but it was the idea that Alex Condon might start. I don't know if you saw this, Neil, or if you yeah. saw the, the Kevin Sweeney tweet. Um, but it, and it was a thing where, like, with the, like, I'll say presumed starters. Actually, this is, that's another conversation. I don't know if I should say it right now or afterwards. But there was a presumed starting five, at least at the moment. Um, and the one kind of spot that was alternating, of course, partially because of um, EJ Jarvis being gone due to personal reasons. Uh, but yeah, there's some buzz that, that Alex Condon is, is a starter, and I'm just uh, interested what your reaction was to that. I mean, what a time to be alive. It's kind, <laughs> of, my <laughs> kind of my reaction to it. Um, there's nothing I've seen on any of the videos I've seen that suggests that he's going to start or have a significant role. So I'm glad there's some excitement about him. I think that's fabulous. You know, I'm all for Florida stumbling into a diamond in the rough uh, via the international player pool. I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. I, I will say I did get, I got, I was on the uh, Southbound hoops show, like previewing Florida this week. And I have no idea if it's released now or not. Um, but I was, I was asked about Condon and, you know, the obligatory Patty Mills reference and, you know, all the things that you have to do when you talk about the Australian NBA Academy. And I just said, man, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Florida went out and, and they got their front court pieces in the transfer portal. And those are the guys that they're going to run with. And, I, and so, you know, I'd be surprised. Um, and I, I will even avoid the like, very desirable urge in me to make some hot ticky comment about Mike Hanlocked and if Alex Condon is running with like, I just think it's early practice. I'm glad there's a lot of buzz about him. I think that's great, but uh, you know, let's give me, how about we chalk that one up into the, I'll believe it when I see it category too. You know, it reminds me, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast, and maybe I shouldn't, but I will. Um, it, it reminds me slightly of a story that happened a couple of years ago. It's not It's not the same thing, and I'm not proclaiming it quite yet, but um, it, it was regarding Osai Osifo. And now that's a player I knew a lot about. I watched essentially every game he played at the junior college ranks. And for those of you who didn't uh, listen to the show at the time, 
I was I was baffled that Florida took him. I, I was I I all but guaranteed it was going to be a bust, and uh, so I was pretty vocal about on the podcast that and again love the guy. Um, I believe he was uh, showed up at the Lakeland Magic's open tryouts for their their G League team. He did. Um, so he's 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 pushing. So um, and you know and again everyone everyone loves him. Great guy. I just Florida shouldn't have taken him, but. Um, you know, so I talked on the podcast often about how, you know, I did not think this was a take for Florida. And then a coach told me, Hey, Eric, you know, you're, you're totally wrong on, on Osifo. Like you don't understand every single day in practice, we do one-on-ones at the end of practice and you know, who wins every single day, Osai Osifo. (laughs) And he was thinking to himself, Oh man, like, you know, that's, Eric's going to be like, oh, that means that, you know, Sayosivo is really good. And you know what I actually thought? Oh, man, Florida's not very good this year. And uh, <laughs> what, ended, what, what ended up happening with those Sayosivo teams, um, those were not very good Florida teams. So, again, it was one of those situations where, you know, I'm not saying that this coach was lying. I really do believe that Sayosivo was looking really good in practice and was winning one-on-ones at the end of every – but it maybe wasn't as much of an indication of – how good Osasifo was, it was how poor things were looking for the rest of the team. So there was, a, there was a little bit of me that said, and again, I do not know Condon's game is not like I, I knew Osasifo's game very well. So I just knew that if he was one of the better performing players of practice, that did not mean good things for Florida basketball. I do not know Condon's game as well. have not watched him as much, but there was right. part of me that said, if he is legitimately Florida's best option to start, we may have issues here. So, you know, that thought did cross my mind. Um, but again, I, will, I, I don't actually believe that. Like I said, it crossed my mind. I, I will choose to say, no, it just shows that um, Cotton is playing really well. And, and in fairness, I do think as much as there's certain people and that, that want to see Hanlockton and, and Samuel start together, uh, you know, that's a fit that we question to some extent. Right. And I do think when you look at Conan's game where he's a, an extremely willing passer, he plays extremely mm-hmm. hard. He takes off like a gazelle running in the open floor. The moment his team gets a rebound, like say he's next to Samuel or Hanlockton in a drill. Like I can see how that would look amazing where, you know, they're playing hard defense and Conan's flying around and Tyree Samuel's battling in the low block and they force a tough shot and Tyree Samuel comes up with the rebound and boom, Conan takes off like a rocket and Tyree Samuel headmans the ball to sign pull and who pushes it ahead and and Conan gets a layup. Like, I think you could definitely talk yourself into like, Oh, this is like, this is working. Like this is the combination we're looking for. So like, and again, that's something that's important to say. Of course we, we, you know, just cause like say Conan starts doesn't necessarily mean he's, in the five best players, you, you want chemistry, you want, you want groups to work. So, so I can also look at it kind of from that standpoint of Florida being like, Oh man, if we can get like six foot 11 at the power forward spot, but it's going to be someone who's, you know, can really fly in the open court and is a really good passer and is maybe going to be a little lighter on his feet for, for switches. Like, you know, you can talk yourself into why it would work. And then, Hey, if they're like, Oh, and then we're going to bring in, had locked in and, and and Jarvis off the bench and suddenly we have maybe the best reserve front court in the SEC. Like, yeah. hey, you can start to talk yourself into it quite reasonably. But, um, you know, hey, it's it's interesting. Um, and, and again, the people that were at practice were, were you know, spoke really highly of, of Condon. They weren't like, oh, this guy's looking uncomfortable and he's with the starting group. Um, they did just say like, oh, he's looking very good. And then like 30 minutes later when they started five on five, they were like, Oh, and now he's playing with the starting group. So, you know, hey, maybe it maybe it is a gem that they have. Yeah, no, I mean, who knows? I mean, look, yeah, like you said, it was a lot of people, you know, from Kevin Sweeney to Kevin Brockway to, you know, all kinds of all kinds of good feedback from from people that have followed Florida's program for a while. Um, so that's you know, we'll see. I'm just I'm in that wait and see category. Uh speaking of wait and see, I can't wait. Uh, to see all of the stuff in the Almanac, um, college basketball Almanac. But one thing that they had, uh, the guys that put the Almanac together that I thought was super interesting was, um, you know, for year two, they're big time now. So they get to talk to a bunch of coaches and they had some coaches poll. Have you seen any of this? I haven't looked at the coaches poll stuff. No. Okay. So 
um, some fun stuff and, and we can go one by one, kind of get your comment on it. Um, but they said, uh, most outstanding player in the SEC, Wade Taylor the fourth. I, I'm like, I don't think any of us really, you know, I, I could see him winning SEC player of the year. So, but that's what the coaches thought. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. No, I, like, to be honest with you, I actually, like, for years, especially with these preview magazines, and again, the Almanac's in a different era. This is only their second year. Yeah. But, like, if you look at the the Blue Ribbon and, and Lindy's, and, and, and not just the magazines you look at, anyone who was previewing college basketball, it was always just like insane how, how gassed up freshmen would be. And like, you'd look at, especially in the sec, you'd look yeah. at like, who's when, who's going to, you know, preseason pick for most outstanding player. And it would almost always be a Kentucky freshman or like, you know, presumably, you know, usually Kentucky, but it was almost always a freshman. And then, you know, for years that player would disappoint predictably. And the pendulum has now just like, swung so much that like i think it's like oh who's the like steady reliable well i mean i, I really do think taylor's excellent so he's yeah. better than just steady and reliable but like i do love that the pendulum has swung like that just would not happen even five years ago i bet because that that because that, that name wouldn't be sexy enough as like not a five-star right. future nba player so i just love and i think that that also speaks to you know, I, the almanac and the, the the heat check and three man weave and field of 68 guys that all contributed to that. But uh, yeah, they're not just like, you know, they're not swayed in the same way that people used to be by what, what typically got the outstanding preseason, most outstanding player votes. So uh, their breakout player who could become an all American Riley Kugel. Hey, I mean, it's I, not I, ridiculous. No, no, it's not uh, like, and again, it's, it's like, like, it makes sense. I'm just like, I'd have to really look at other rosters and see like, Oh, who else had like, you know, good two or three game stretches to start the season. So like, it's, so it makes sense. I, I, I can't even say who else I would pick. Like, I don't even know if you have a name off the top of your head other than Google, that would be a possibility so yeah it's and and again if you're looking for some kind of returner there's so few of them there so like the other yeah. picks would probably be an under the radar transfer edition which is a little bit less interesting to me so, so. i like i like the idea of matthew morell like with chris beard mm, that's a good point but that would be the only guy that i would think of other than kugel like it's almost like they asked the coaches this and kugel was really obvious now i'm not saying that to take anything away from riley just right it's kind of like, okay, because Matthew Morrell would be the only other name that, like, if, if I were pulled, I could go, oh, you know, that might – because he was really good the last month of the season too. With Yeah, and if that is if that is the competition, I could see why they went with, with Kugel, who, again, also right. plays a little bit more electric kind of style of, of basketball. Right. And, again, it's like, let's say that Florida is a top 20 team and, and Kugel is scoring – 17 or 18 points a game it's again let's remember that it's been several years since florida was relevant so if florida does get back to relevancy and here's um riley kugel hitting 30 foot step back threes and dunking on guys and, and putting up good numbers like yeah you can talk yourself into it uh, fairly quickly easiest team to prepare for you got a guess oh easiest team to prepare for god i love uh, that is like <laughs> oh man like Oh, I the I think you know the answer I want to say. Like it's you don't have like to say. I yeah, I have to say Kentucky because I don't because they just don't that run was, anything. That was the answer. Okay. Cause again, and you could also argue like, you know, if you're insert team at the bottom of the SEC and you've got to prepare for Kentucky, you could almost say, like, well, how do you prepare for athleticism? <laughs> but from a scheme standpoint, I don't know. Yeah, was was their comments or was it uh, they just say that the they've just got this, this <laughs> <laughs> just let it hang out there. Like makes, a, it, makes it even better in my That opinion. is a hilarious question. I, I absolutely love that. And yeah, and and again, like look at the coaches in the SEC now. Like yeah, even again, like I know LSU is bad. I think they've got a really good ball coach who does a lot of interesting things. So like again, I and uh, right. yeah, it's I, I would be interested to know like who else received votes. <laughs> that that would be, but uh, yeah, that would be would that'd be that'd be spicy. I love that question. Hardest team to prepare for. Oh man, this would be like such a no-brainer for me if I were 
And like oh. when I see this, I was just like, of course, that would have been my answer. Yeah. I, like, is it Alabama? Oh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. yeah just, oh, that's a good question. Or that's a good, that's a better answer. Yeah. Just defensively plus all the flex stuff. Like, yeah, that's they, yeah, they run, they run more actions. And again, it's yeah. interesting too, because it's not like their offense has been particularly lethal the last couple of years, but right. it's still, I was, I was almost thinking like when you were saying the flex too, I was almost thinking like Auburn who runs a lot of stuff as well, but that would have been that, a good, that, that would have been a good but, answer. But to be honest, I wasn't really thinking about defense in that moment. Whereas Tennessee's defense, I think, is much more difficult to prepare. Right, and exactly, Auburn's Auburn's, Auburn's going to do what it does on defense. It doesn't surprise you. It's just like you have to get accustomed to it in the first ten minutes of the game, really. Well, and I, I like the way because, like, I said Alabama because mm-hmm. I thought that they might be like, oh, you know, like again, like they play so much in transition, they play five out out of reads, and that can be a little bit harder to. Yeah. You know, how do you prepare your team? So I thought that they were going to go like that, which is a little bit more like, I don't know. That's, that's like a popular answer right now to be like, Oh, you know, they play out of concepts, not plays and it's harder to pre- prepare for, but it's like, no, actually the team that runs a lot of actions and has huge bodied individuals setting screens and ducking in. Uh, that's harder. I, I kind of wish they had comments cause that would be interesting, but I also just love that they, they ask these questions. Hardest. Oh, sorry. A um, couple more. Because this is fun. Player who scares you the most. Um, like returning player? Yeah. I presume it's great. They went with Wade Taylor the fourth, which I love. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shoot, yeah. I just had a moment. I just had a complete, yeah. To your point of forgetting who else that could even be. It it like it also just makes me like reminds me of you know, how little returning talent there is in, in the SEC. Sleeper team, it was a tie. Oh, I oh yeah, I'm gonna even I'm gonna, I'm gonna even guess the team a tie dog. I'm going to say I don't think they actually said this, but I would go Vanderbilt and I'm going yeah. to say the other team they tied with is Ole Miss because some people have that much respect for Chris Beard and others nest didn't want to vote for Chris Beard. There are people that have lots of respect for Chris Beard, but none of them appear to have made the almanac. Mm, that's okay. Um, <laughs> Donate. Fair. I think they looked at the roster that he has and said, not yet, Chris. Mm. Um, not in that league. So the, the sleepers were Florida and Missouri. Okay. This, this is the coaches poll. Oh, that's that's right. That's right. And I, I forgot that it was coaches. Yeah. And I don't feel like the coaches would have said uh, – that's Ole Miss. Um, yeah. That's just interesting to me because, again, like, where are we seeing – and, again, I was I just wrote about this at Gator Country kind of putting together some of the predictions. But, like, like where does the Almanac have Missouri? Like, I just feel like – I know that they're kind of, like, around the same range as Florida, but I feel like Florida's was, like, seventh in the Almanac and, like, seventh in Lindy's, but, like, ninth in Blue Ribbon Sportsbook. But I feel like in a couple of those, Missouri was, like – fifth or sixth and i guess for me it's just like like if florida's picked seventh unless they like win the almanac is missouri ninth oh okay so okay that that that's into like potential sleeper range um but again i sorry i keep saying i keep i keep honestly mixing up that it's it's coaches and it's not like these coaches necessarily know the know the uh (laughs) coaches don't have their own personal uh rankings ready to go and thinking about who uh who would surpass them. So no, that's uh that is very interesting to see that level of Florida. Um, I'll, I'll say respect. Why, why do you think the coaches would, uh, would pick Florida? Uh, the guard. I mean, I thought Florida did really well in the portal with Clayton and Pullen. Um, I know everybody wanted Clayton. I mean, most everybody. Um, and then I think Pullen, I think that I certainly think that if you watch film and I know you have like his game just seems like it's going to translate to the sec. He's the guy on this roster that I would be most surprised. And I say that knowing that we both value Ty Samuel a lot, but I, I would be most surprised if he was not impactful. Hmm. Um, That's kind of why, because I think you look at, you add those two guys and you surround them with Riley Kugel and Will Richard. Like, I get it. I get it. 
Yeah, no, it's that's that's interesting too to just see like, and again, I I almost wonder like, I don't know how popular Jerry Stackhouse is necessarily with uh, yeah. the guys in the league. Where like again, like to me, my answer like even the more I think about it, I still would think like Vanderbilt, and it just seems like this is a couple of years in a row past where Vanderbilt has finished higher than expectation. And and again, I just kind of feel like Missouri, like I just feel like Dennis Gates is kind of like has some juice right now, and and like that's yeah, a program that that like. It's kind of like buzzing. So like, again, if, if like, I, again, I don't know. I, I kind of, I don't know if this was their system, but it kind of, to me, seems like they showed these coaches their rankings. And then they said, who do you think is the biggest sleeper? Cause I just kind of like have, I'm just kind of surprised that relative to like national buzz that Missouri would be a team that teams would, or coaches would pick. But then if they saw that they were ninth, I could see some of the coaches being like, Oh, well, you know, Gates is finishing higher than that. So yeah, yeah that, that is interesting. I'd be interested in the math. Actually, I'm, to be honest, I'm going to ask the guys because uh, I'm you know, friends. With yeah, I'd love to know. I like that. Inter- you should. I, I like the idea of the methodology there where it's like, um, you know, because you wonder how much these coaches have like actually studied everybody's roster too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure, for example, that they like know – like some of the returning players, of course. Right. Um, but how much do they know? Like everybody that's coming in. And so like, as somebody that's not a coach that doesn't have my own program to worry about, I'm not a college coach. You know, I don't have to worry about, I can study these rosters and I can say, Hey, you know, John Butler played a year at FSU and his brother's there and he's bigger and supposed to be more skilled. And like, what if he's good right away? Trent Pierce went to Compass Prep, a program we know is awesome, right? Like another one of their freshmen. What if he's really good? He's 6'8 and has handles. He's like, he's a classic FSU player that Gates used to recruit to Tallahassee, and now he's bringing him to Como. Like Dennis's blueprint is not, it shouldn't be shocking to anyone, right? And so, no. like, you, you look at it and, like, I think it's a lot like you said. I think people, like, if they knew they were ninth, they're just like, no, Dennis Gates is not going to finish ninth. Yeah, and, and maybe I'm just also like, and again, I don't know exactly. I'm sure these coaches were also talked to at varying different times because it's up to the, you know, schedule of these coaches when they could finally get talked to. But, like, uh, you know, I think Missouri just has their, just took their, like, I don't know, fourth player in 2024, like high school player. So, like, and I think they might have, like, you know, as it stands right now, the top ranked recruiting class in 2024. And again, I think that that algorithm is nuts. Um, for example, I'm pretty sure that right now James Madison has like the 25th um, ranked uh, class in 2024 because they have two players that are ranked like 190th and 173rd. And they're ahead of a bunch of teams that have like only one commitment who's like the 60th ranked player in the class. And that's just like, they got to fix that algorithm 24-7. Um, cause that's just like, there's not, there's not anyone in the world who would rather have two fringe top 200 players than one top 70 player. But anyways, um, yeah, so there's just a lot of buzz right now for, for, for Gates and, and Missouri. So, uh, um, right. but yeah, but Hey, but you could also say you look at them, them ranked ninth, but, um, I'm curious to know what your, your answer would be. I, I would say Vanderbilt for me, um, that I've declared I'm, I'm, I'm in on this year. I'm curious if you, would yeah, as long as like, so I like I like the Vanderbilt answer, um, and I like the Missouri answer. I like both those answers because um, I am high on the freshman that Gates brought in, and I'm also pretty high on Caleb Brown. Right? Like I think, like you look at the jump that Kobe took from last season of Quanzo to like playing for Dennis Gates, and like I don't know. I mean, Caleb had some nagging injuries and stuff a season ago. Like he could take a leap. Um, you know, Connor Vanover kind of is what he is, but he's played a lot of SEC basketball. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I don't know. I think like it wouldn't stun me if they finished in the top five in the league again. So is that like that would be where I would say sleeper, right? Like somebody that's top five. Because if you're top five in this league last year, if you did that, you were a six seed or better. Except mm-hmm. for Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's because Missouri's non-conference, like they didn't get good until they got the league play, really. Yeah. So, like, if if we do go by, like, say, the almanac rankings, like for Florida, who's picked seventh, like 
if they end up being picked fourth, is that like, or sorry, they finish fourth. Like, was that a, you know, successful, were they a sleeper? Like, eh, right. like I don't know. Not really. They kind of have to finish. Yeah. I don't know. Third with that, you know, eh, I maybe would, I would agree with that. Like, I think you need to finish. If you're a sleeper, you have to finish four or five spots above where you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah. That's probably a fair. And of course there's probably some diminishing, like whoever, whoever the almanac has, um, fifth, like if, if the team that finished fifth comes like second, like that's a, like, that's a pretty big leap, but like, like that's like the fifth to second leap is probably, you know, similar to like a seven to three, like you start to get diminishing returns a little bit. Um, and yeah, I do think, I forget if you said it or not, but the, the almanac has Texas A&M winning the league. Right. Like, I think that was, uh, I believe that was, uh, they're, they're, they were, they were different. I think everyone else has Tennessee, but the almanac has uh, Texas A&M. Yeah, and a lot of other people have Kentucky second because I guess old habits just will not die. Um, Wonder, I, I bet I can guess who they had as their uh, you know preseason uh, most outstanding player too. I'm sure it was a freshman. Well, I think they played paper rock scissors between Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that that's how that went down. Um, yeah, no. So everybody get on to Patreon. Make sure that you uh, just give it a chance. There's a lot of – I'm going to have individual team previews for the SEC uh, that are going to roll out. Um, at the urging of Malik Grady, I, I decided I would add recruiting updates there for Patreons. Mm. It's a win-win. It means I don't have to talk about it on the show. Ryan Jones going to Virginia Tech. He chooses October 2nd. Um no, I don't know that for sure. I already <laughs> talked. Maybe he goes to Florida. Who knows? Um, but that that will be our our next show will be after he decides. So we'll we'll figure that out. But but do that, and then um, obviously always make sure that you are uh, supporting my main man, Eric Fawcett, whether it's at Gator Country or, or following him on Twitter or whatever. Um, because hey, forty days out, like Florida plays here in Charlotte in 43 days. So I'm, I'm getting juiced. Yeah. What's, what's on your, uh, your fall schedule for watching basketball this year? Oh man. So that's the thing I I have until February 1st to attend 63 games. Oof. So uh, we're going, we're going hard out of the gate. Like we're just going to like, we'll opening night it up at Davidson and, uh, We'll just go from there, man. Like, definitely be in the building for Florida, Virginia. Um, and then I think the key is the double feast week thing that I have planned, where like I hit up the Charleston Classic mm-hmm. for one of the four game days, right? Because it's not actually because that weird law in South Carolina where they can't have MTEs Thanksgiving week. Like, what? Um, and then maybe head up to the NIT. I'll find something to do actual feast week oh man 63 games before what did you say february 1st yeah i mean i don't know if it's i don't know if i can do it but i was pumped that like but i you know if you if you're big into if you want to if you want to break down the analytics of the 100 games right like getting to 37 from january 31st to march madness was pretty that was pretty good yeah, and yeah, maybe I'll, maybe you'll end up at a. It doesn't doesn't Charlotte have a have a site this year for uh, first weekend of March Madness? Yeah, and that's the thing. Charlotte has first weekend site, mm. so I can go somewhere where Kentucky can get eliminated again. And um, no, <laughs> just bag on Kentucky. Florida basketball are becoming bag on Kentucky hour. Um, no, it, yeah, they do. So I'm I'm stoked about that. Like. Could be spending a lot of time in the Spectrum Center not watching the Hornets, which is really the key to the Spectrum Center. That's like <laughs> the Venn diagram of like Spectrum Center enjoyment. It, you don't want it to like overlap with like attend Hornets game often. No, that's uh, no, I'm glad to glad to hear you'll be watching some much better stuff and getting some you know <laughs> banana pudding at uh, yeah. Charleston or whatever that uh, that everyone eats yeah. at the Charleston Classic and all that. And, yeah, we're set up for a good fall. Got to got to flip the switch here and start really cranking out uh, po- uh, content at both. Uh, well, all the podcasts, the uh, Gator Country, and yeah, we'll ramp up the uh, the Patreon a little bit too. So it is uh, it's coming up quickly, folks. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite pieces that Eric did um, at Gator. I mean, I want you guys to read 
the stuff that he writes, period, into the story. And I know you probably do, but I love the uh, the Gator Country piece on the best players Florida will see in non-conference play. That came out a couple weeks ago. Um, I mean, like, if you wanted to get jacked about the Loyola-Maryland game because <laughs> it was something other than opening night, like, Eric's your guy. So um, make sure you all check out all that stuff. We're pumped to be here season six. Uh, wow. You know, and I, here's what I'll say. Like, Eric made a, a very gentlemanly Canadian comment earlier about how he wasn't going to be too dismissive of, like, coach speak on offense. And, like, I'd be pumped if they were ditching the continuity ball screen, but it's too early. Not for me, man. I've seen so much bad offense in the five seasons of Florida basketball hour that, like, mm. if Florida could just come out and, like, run something crisp and efficient that didn't have Chris Chioza involved, that would be glorious. Yeah, that's big on the wish list um, for this year. And, and again, it would be kind of interesting to see, like, and that was almost like unfair, I think, to, in some of the Mike White years where I think honestly, like Florida could have been losing the same number of games. But if they did it, if they lost 80 to 75 instead of 70 to 65, like right. people would have been happier. And, and I always thought that was kind of like, hey, like, you know, you got to find ways to win no matter, no matter what. But, you know, the style matters, I think, when you're at a um, – you know, I'll just say football school. I know some people hate, yeah. and, you know, everything school. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But like, there are a lot of football fans who need an exciting brand of basketball to care. And even if there's W's on the board, unless there's a whole lot of them and there's a good number next to the Gators on um, a top 25 ranking, there's, there's people that just do struggle to care a little bit. So I, no, I, I actually, I really do hope that Florida comes out playing a style of basketball that is exciting because I do think a lot of, Again, for as much as there are a lot of casual basketball fans who are definitely football first, there are a lot of people that are like, oh, the Gators basketball is on. Like, it's 0-0 on the schedule. Like, oh, I'll definitely check out this team. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, every year, and we see it on Twitter, we see it on the boards, that there's like, hey, gave this team a chance. Um, it was really painful to watch. And uh, uh, they're three and four. And, you know, I'm, I'm out. See you in March if you make it. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've got to – you got to win and you've got to play a style that, that captures some of those people, I think to, to really get the buzz going. And um, hopefully we see full O-domes the, uh, the whole way through the season. No, I hope so. Um, we, so we should be back on before the, uh, or after the Jones commit before the Sammy and a visit. Um, if, if you cycle your life around recruiting, mm. you know, when our next show is coming, um, but we appreciate you and uh, I'll let Eric sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.